0: Hello, creatives. I'm Joanna Penn, and this is episode number 670 of the podcast. And it is Tuesday, the 24th of January, 2023, as I record this. So in today's in between episode, i am talking about generative AI. So first, I'm doing a longer introductory section with my thoughts on the legal cases around AI and copyright, and some of the ways you can work with the tools in an ethical and responsible manner. Then I have an interview with Oliver Altair, who is an AI artist, graphic designer and author about his use of AI tools, his thoughts on the best way to approach it, and why we are both so excited and positive about it all. So today's show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons, who support the show at patreon.com forward slash the creative pen. So while I have fantastic corporate sponsors who pay for the hosting transcription and editing my time to think about these bigger topics and these extra in-between episodes is sponsored by my patrons whose financial and emotional support for the show keep me coming back month after month because as long as I know this show is useful I will keep doing it and my patrons demonstrate that they still find it valuable after so many years. So if you support the show, you get the extra Q&A audio every month, which is a private patron-only Q&A where I answer patron questions on writing craft, self-publishing, creative business, AI, futurist things, and behind-the-scenes personal stuff, as well as giving discounts on books and courses. You can support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash thecreativepen. Or of course, you can buy my books and courses, use my affiliate links, or you can support my Kickstarter for Pilgrimage, which is live as this goes out at jfpen.com forward slash pilgrimage. Right, here are my solo thoughts on generative AI, and then we'll get into the interview. So before we get into the interview, I just want to add some overarching comments as I'm getting a lot of emails about generative AI for art and obviously for words, since this is primarily a podcast for writers. Now, it feels like a lot of people are going through now what I did a few years back when I first heard about all this. So I understand how it feels to be kind of scared, kind of excited, kind of unsure as to what we can do with all this. And of course, you have to spend some time digging into it and figuring out your own position. And that's not helped by the hyperbole, misunderstandings and uh, outrage (laughs) fueled by press and social media. So there is a real sense of fear and confusion in the media and amongst different kinds of creators. But I want you to take a deep breath and do some research for yourself from different points of view. And of course, I am only one point of view. My point of view, and if you've been listening the last few years, you'll know what it is, is that these generative AI systems are tools, and new technology always enables new forms of creative expression and helps creators of all kinds achieve new things, and every time there are people who try and stop it. But photography didn't kill painting or drawing. Online gaming didn't kill tabletop games. Ebooks didn't kill beautiful print editions. Synthesized music didn't kill the live concert. And in fact, all these technological tools made the personal touch even more important. So, yes, there are many issues with generative AI. I know it's not all rainbows and unicorns. And tools can also be weapons. To borrow the title of Brad Smith's book on the promise and peril of the digital age, which was actually more about the disruption of the internet, which also has a similar dichotomy. We can use these tools for good or for bad. We can use these tools responsibly and ethically and encourage others to do the same. And that's what I'm doing, and I hope you will too. So we're going to talk about all these things, but let's first take a step back. So these tools are not new. They have just been noticed by people outside the tech industry since ChatGPT was launched in late November 2023. And I think those of us who were already using a lot of things were like, oh, You guys have now noticed that this is happening. (laughs) So I've been commenting about generative AI on this show since 2016 and have done many interviews on it since then. And you can find all the backlist episodes at thecreativepen.com forward slash future. And uh, I think it was Mark Dawson who said I'm usually five years Early And that does work about right 2016, 2017. And now it's 2023. So yeah, I mean, five, five years after I start talking about something, it might go mainstream. (laughs) So in July 2019, I did a solo episode on nine ways that artificial intelligence will disrupt authors and the publishing industry back in episode 437. If you want to listen links, all the links will be in the show notes. And there's tons of links in this little intro I'm doing. My very first point on that list was, nonfiction books, blog posts and news articles will be written by AI, and that is certainly happening with GPT3, ChatGPT, tools like Jasper and uh, sites that are built on top of these various tools. I also had a point that copyright law will be challenged as books are used to train AIs, which then produce work in the voice of established authors. And yeah, so the first legal cases around copyright law have now been brought by artists as their art is being used to train models that can be used to produce work in the voice of that artist. And it's essentially the same thing as I wrote about uh, in that post. And I actually I did that in July 2019. I'm going to do an update in July 2023. And I said it would take 10 years for all of this disruption, but it's, it seems to be happening faster than expected. But yes, these. There are a few legal cases about generative AI right now. Now, as ever, I am not a lawyer, attorney. I'm just an author, audiobook narrator and podcaster. I have an interview coming in the next few months with an IP lawyer. So we'll circle back to it as the year progresses and obviously as these court cases um, move forward. So first of all, three artists have filed a class action lawsuit against Midjourney, Stable Diffusion and Dream Up for scraping their images and using their intellectual property without consent. And uh, they have a website, StableDiffusionLitigation.com. Again, links in the notes. I recommend listening to the excellent Hard Fork podcast, since you're listening to a show. Uh, Go along to Hard Fork. Uh, It's a really good show. I recommend it in general. Um, But on the 20th of January, 2023, they have a segment with artist Sarah Anderson, who's one of the three artists filing the lawsuit. Now, it's really worth listening to because people email me and say, oh, these lawsuits mean it's all going to be shut down. We won't be able to use it. That's not true. Sarah says um, that they are not looking to shut down generative AI technology. What they want is consent. So artists can opt their images in for training rather than opt out as default. They also want credit If their work is used for other people's work and compensation for any harm or infringement and license. They also want to, you know, license data for training if you opt in, although she says she would never opt in if she had a choice. So that's with Sarah Anderson um, on Hard Fork and a, a really good snippet of interview there. Also Getty Images are suing stable diffusion for unlawfully scraping images from its site. In an article on The Verge, Getty Images CEO Craig Peters compares the current legal landscape in the generative AI scene to the early days of digital music. And I'm quoting here from The Verge. In those early days of digital music, companies like Napster offered popular but illegal services before new deals were struck with license holders like music labels. Peter said Getty was not interested in financial damages or stopping the development of AI art tools, but in creating a new legal status quo. As he says, there are ways of building generative models that respect intellectual property. Wright Tech also has an article about the ins and outs of AI art and copyright, noting... While the litigation against image generators may be new, the debate over whether works produced by AI systems trained on copyrighted works should be considered derivative works under copyright law, and for which a license therefore should have been attained, is not new. And in fact, uh, rightstep.com is a really good site for keeping an eye on intellectual property law, which is one of my hobbies. <laughs> There's also another class action lawsuit where Microsoft, GitHub and OpenAI are being sued around GitHub Copilot being, and again, this is in The Verge, being trained on public repositories of code scraped from the web, many of which are published with licenses that require anyone reusing the code to credit its creators. Copilot has been found to regurgitate long sections of licensed code without providing credit, prompting the lawsuit that accuses the companies of violating copyright law on a massive scale. So that's another one. And uh, code, of course, is language. It's Words (laughs) Words, <laughs> it's coding language, so it's on, uh, more on the, the the written side, I guess. Now again, people have emailed me saying, "Well, all of these court cases will just mean the end of AI generative stuff, and uh, it will. I never need to engage with this because it's it's just all going to be shut down." But that is not true. <laughs> While these cases are interesting and important, none are intended to shut down generative AI tools. They are intended to ensure that creators and owners of intellectual property are fairly compensated for training models. So regardless of the outcome, AI development will continue apace. The genie is truly out of the bottle. And yes, you do have to engage with this. And it's not just businesses that want AI development to continue. I was part of a submission to the UK government on AI and copyright last year, along with Orna Ross from the Alliance of Independent Authors. And in reading the associated documents that came with this submission, there was a clear attempt to balance reward for creative work with the need to encourage AI innovation, not stifle it. Now, the US government (laughs) would presumably be even more keen on ensuring the continuing continuing development of AI. After all, do you really think the US wants another country to be predominant in AI? And I don't think we need to name that country, but read AI Superpowers by Kai-Fu Lee if you want to glimpse the stakes. Personally, I think the court cases will result in some kind of settlement fund for those artists who can prove damages, a change in copyright law to allow for licensing to train models, or it might even be made part of fair use. And there will be an opt out for anyone who doesn't want their art, words, music, whatever, to be used in training data or used as a prompt. On the other side, fine-tuning models to specific requirements using licensed data will presumably become much more accessible. And I wrote about this in my book on artificial intelligence, blockchain and virtual worlds, where I proposed a new license to train models with our work in copyright where the original creator gets paid, which would definitely fit with what is being discussed. For example, a group of action-adventure thriller writers could get together and train a model with our work and then license it to other writers. I am up for that, as I discussed with Charlene Putney on episode 660 uh, in September, December 2022. So only a month ago. It's amazing how fast things move on. (laughs) Really So AI is not going away and it will only become more pervasive in every industry. And in fact, some of you have emailed me about how you're now using many of these tools in your day job. Now, Andrew Ng professor at Stanford, who also worked at Google Brain, Baidu AI, and is the co-founder of Coursera, the online courses platform, said that AI is the new electricity. And I'll link to a Stanford uh, article there. In, so AI is the new electricity, and it will be incorporated into every industry. And the creative sphere is just a tiny part of the transformation try and imagine your modern life without electricity. And you might be glimpsing in a decade or so, decade, 20 years, who knows how long this is going to take, but it, AI will be become part of, of everything. And he, Andrew Ng, has a great free course on AI for everyone, which I did a while back. And it's really good. And I recommend it if you want to learn more. It's free. It's on Coursera. Links in the show notes. And in fact, you are also already using ai tools every day perhaps in your car through google maps or apple maps if you edit with tools like grammarly or pro writing aid if you publish or shop on amazon you are you are using their uh, ai um, algorithms if you use advertising on facebook or amazon or any of the platforms if you use social media if you use tiktok or youtube or twitter or uh, facebook as we mentioned any of these sites you are using ai tools Microsoft has also licensed OpenAI's models for use in their platform and products. So these tools are already being incorporated into other things and will likely be in Microsoft Word soon, even if it's not already. So, yeah, you're probably using AI tools and MS Word and other Microsoft tools will be powered by these generative tools. So you are already AI-assisted. The question is, how much do you want to use these AI tools in your creative and business practices, as well as in your personal life and work? So if you want to keep an open mind and try some of the tools, here are my thoughts on the best way to approach them. Be curious, be playful, experiment. So as Oliver and I discuss in the upcoming interview, we are both having a lot of fun with these tools, both image and text uh, generative AI tools. They are like a jumpstart for your brain, a crazy co-writer or co-creator. They spark new ideas and make far more things possible. For the curious creative mind, they are expansive tools. They can enable you to do more So if you keep a fun, positive, open mindset when you approach the tools, you may find possibilities you never expected. As Kevin Kelly says in The Inevitable, understanding the 12 technological forces that will shape our future, this is not a race against the machines. If we race against them, we lose. This is a race with the machines, you'll be paid in the future based on how well you work with robots. It is inevitable. And by robots, we can say AI. So you'll be paid in the future based on how well you work with AI. It is inevitable. And I certainly feel that that way. And in fact, I'm paid right now (laughs) in the present by how well I use online tools and tools in general. There is no way I could have the business I have as a single person without all the different tools that I have on the internet uh, to leverage who I am as one person. And I can see how all these different things are going to help me leverage my individual self into the future uh, of business, of creative business and creative work. But then, of course, it is very important to use these AI tools ethically and responsibly. So I recommend reading and applying the Alliance of Independent Authors ethical guidelines for use of AI. Some of the key points are use the tools to enhance your creative work, not to infringe on other people's IP or pass work off as others. Now, This is just getting to know what you can do with the tools and then not using it (laughs) in a bad way. So for example, I use PseudoWrite based on GPT-3 and I have a tutorial on on it, Uh, links in the notes. So I use PseudoWrite as a way to help me write better sensory description, primarily that's what I use it for, in my stories. But I do not ask it to rewrite this text in the style of Stephen King. Now I could, because you can do that, But I don't do that. As much as I love Stephen King's books, I am J.F. Penn as a fiction author, and I have my voice and my own stories to tell. I want to use AI tools for my creative vision and enhance my voice. I don't want to create in the style or tone or voice of someone else, and that is true of all artists in any creative niche. Yes, we love to read other people's work, but ultimately, We want to create our own thing and be better at our craft. That's what we do. Also, if I use any text from PseudoWrite or ChatGPT or anything like that, I will edit the generated text to fit my voice and also check it with ProWritingAid's Plagiarism Checker, just in case I have mistakenly used someone else's sentences. I did this prior to using AI tools anyway, as it's good practice when you do a lot of research from other books. In the same way, you can ask AI tools like Midjourney to create images without using the name of a living artist as a prompt. You can get plenty of amazing images without infringing on someone else's art. For example, the image on the show notes for this this, uh, podcast episode is made on Midjourney with the prompt, a robot holding an artist's palette, metallic, colourful, detailed. So, There's no artist name in that and it created the image that I'm using. Then I checked the final image on Google image search to make sure it didn't resemble someone else's art basically so it's not copying it's creating something new from my prompt and it doesn't infringe so yay I'm going to use it (laughs) and uh, Oliver does give some examples but he's blending like um, he mentions fashion designers and architecture which again and to create a style of his art and fulfill his voice and then he edits that he is a graphic designer so there are lots of ways to use these tools without having to infringe on anyone else's <laughs> IP. Then if you use the output, be upfront about AI usage. So I include a statement of AI usage at the back of my books and I label my AI narrated audiobooks as well as my AI images on my blog posts or in my books. So I have a longer post coming up in late February when I will publish my first story with an AI generated cover, which my cover designer has also edited and done the font. And everything for. So I will be going into how I use AI and I've used it uh, in the, the text generation. I used uh, with PseudoWrite. I use some of that that in the, the story. I also use ChatGPT to write the sales description. So I'm going to do a whole blog post about how a human writer and an AI, AI tools can go together basically in an ethical way. <laughs> you know how important it is for me to do things right I mean it really is I'm super honest about all this I've always talked about this stuff so this is nothing new so how might AI tools impact our business model as authors and artists uh, and whoever creators so as ever it's about creating original work that you want to create with your voice your creative direction your emotions your life experience And there will always be people who will use the latest tool to cheat and scam and make a quick buck and generally do all the things humans have always done. Plagiarism and piracy are nothing new. Pretty much everything I've ever done has been pirated. Um, So just get on with creating and connecting with your readers and listeners. And if they trust you and listen to you, they will buy from you, as many of you do buy my work from me. Um, And yeah, double down on being human as complex and flawed as you are and focus on connecting with other humans however you choose to create whether that's with ai tools or without them and this is one of the reasons i'm so excited about kickstarter and selling direct on shopify and other stores where we can do amazing quality products for our audience we can sell them directly and control the platform as well as connect with the people who buy because my uh, my pirated copies of my books are available on sites like Amazon, for example, where I recently I've had a whole load of them and eat people stealing my whole books, my covers, my everything. And it's 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 like bat the rat if you know that in England at fairgrounds and things the little rat comes but it's not a rat it's like a little beanbag comes down the tube and you, you bat it and then there's another one it's like you know just keep doing this uh, so yeah scamming plagiarism all this piracy there's nothing new um, but what I love about being able to carve out my little corner of the internet and create and sell happily directly is no one else can get their stuff on my store <laughs> It is my store. It is my Kickstarter. And yes, as this goes out, my Kickstarter for Pilgrimage is running until the 5th of February 2023. jfpen.com forward slash pilgrimage. If you want to check that out or um, buy a copy directly from me, you'll know it's from me. It's not pirated. I I, I might even break into song I'm so enthusiastic about this and also it means on my store I don't have to compete with anyone else if you go to it you know you're there for my books so yeah very happy about the direction things are going so in terms of AI tools you know some people say oh well but what if you can just like right now you cannot click a button and output a perfect novel um But even if you can, even if at some point AI tools can write an amazing novel or generate a wonderful song or create incredible visual art, it just doesn't matter. There are already billions and billions of images, songs, books that anyone can read. We already have abundance and there will only be more of it to come. But all of this stuff just drowns in the massive sea of stuff that there is out there. The important thing is creating unique and wonderful stories Art, books, music, whatever you create, and then connecting with an audience of humans who it resonates with, so, and this is the important point. So even if somebody's just sitting there clicking some button or auto generating books and auto publishing them on uh, Amazon every day, uh, you know, you, it, you like. Kevin Kelly said, you can't compete with the machine. Even those who write really fast and write a book a month and do rapid release cannot compete with an AI that might output a book every second. I mean, if you do a translation with DeepL or one of the translate tools, um, you can output a completely translated book in under a minute. So, I mean, yes, it needs editing, but these are the things that you can do. So you can't compete with that. But remember, we have to sell books. (laughs) we have to reach readers. So unless someone is actually going to sit there and build up an audience of people to buy those books, then eventually they're going to be like, well, what is the point? So this is, it's the same as if, if you put, if you write your wonderful, unique book and put it up on Amazon, no one's going to buy it either. Essentially, we have to reach readers. So this important thing is your voice Your angle on the story or the topic, your personal experience, your face, your voice, your personal brand as a creator and controlling your intellectual property and your platform is only going to become even more important in this age of AI. And this is still nothing new. (laughs) Build your email list, Um, you know, reach out to people, connect with people, network with other real life human writers. (laughs) All of these things have always been important and they're going to be even more so. So circling back to my 2019 article on how AI would disrupt the industry, I also said, humans are innately creative. And in this new AI powered world, we can create even more than we ever dreamed possible. And I'm more excited than ever about this, as you'll hear in the interview, Oliver is too as an artist, and we'll get into that interview very soon. (laughs) But first of all, resources. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out my book, Artificial Intelligence, Blockchain and Virtual Worlds, which has chapters on writing in the age of AI and copyright law, written in 2020, but still Uh, not quite coming true as yet, as ever, I am early, but that book contains uh, quite a lot of my thoughts on the whole thing. I also have a course on the AI assisted author, which goes into more detail around attitudes to AI fit for you to adopt, as well as problems, biases, ethical usage, examples across lots of different industries and more. So you can get 50% off the ebook audiobook and the course if you buy direct from me on my platforms you can use coupon FEB23 all caps so FEB23 at the checkout links in the show notes for both the books uh, the book the audiobook and the course valid until March 2023. So there are also a ton of newsletters and podcasts out there on these topics, and I wade through a lot of them every week. I recommend in particular The Algorithmic Bridge by Alberto Romero and Ben's Bites, which is a daily email kind of rounding uh, rounding up what's going on in AI. For AI-related podcasts, check out Hard Fork, Grey Matter with Reid Hoffman, a-16-Z, I say, but it's A-16-Z, and Mindsets and Moonshots. And check out my backlist podcast episodes and recommended book list at thecreativepen.com forward slash future. Right, let's get into the interview. Oliver Altair is a dark fantasy author, a digital artist and creator of the Ravensfield collection. So welcome, Oliver.
1: Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, no, I'm excited to talk to you today. So first up, tell us just a bit more about you and how you got into writing and digital art.
1: Uh, for me, it all goes way back to when I was a little boy. Uh, creativity was very much encouraged in my household. Both of my parents have brilliant creative minds. My father is an artist. So for me, pretty much I spent all my time writing my stories and illustrating my own stories. And then when I got my first computer, I got like intrigued about digital art. So I carried that with me until my adult life. And professionally, I became a graphic artist pretty much right after college. So I've been doing that for around 15 years. And when it comes to publishing, I wasn't aware of the self-publishing world until 2016, 17. So I was a bit late to the game. And 2017 is when I published my first dark fantasy novel.
0: Okay. Well, no one is late. So <laughs> and you certainly weren't late then and anyone starting now, you are not late. I, I mean, I feel like I'm a bit with Amazon on this. Every day is day one, right? There's always something new and we'll be talking about new stuff today, but let's just tell people where you are in the world in case they're wondering what your accent is. It's only very slight, but I think people will be interested.
1: <laughs> yes. So I'm originally from Spain. I was born in the southwest of Spain, but then I moved to the United States in my early 20s. So I was there for pretty much until I was in my mid to late 30s. So long, it's been a while, but now I live between the US and Europe with my husband. Uh, Right now, today, I'm actually in the Lisbon area in Portugal, which is quite lovely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, lovely place. Right. So tell us more about the Ravensfield collection. What is this and how did you and why did you create it?
1: Yes. So I call the Ravensfield collection my own museum of the weird. So it's an imaginary museum that I created and it has pieces of artwork that go from oil paintings to sculptures to just like objects of art, pretty much whatever you could find in an eclectic museum. Think, for example, the Metropolitan Museum in New York City. And then each little object has a short story, a bit of text related to the to the object. And it's usually something in the realms of like weird fiction, which is what I write about. And some of the stories are actually interrelated. So they give you information about that world, about the family that is curated, the collection, uh, Etc. And the one thing that excites me the most is like all of the art pieces I made using an artificial intelligence image generator, which I believe adds a little bit of like weirdness and mysticism, if you will, to the whole project. And the, about the why of I decided to create this, I think there was both a creative reason and also a more practical reason. Creatively, I've always loved anthology projects, things like, you know, the Martian Chronicles, or Chuck Palahniuk's Hunted, or of course, the Twilight Zone. So I decided that this was my chance to create my own. And then at the same time, when I started my publishing journey, I was actually pretty happy with the response of the readers that I could find so far but i think i felt a bit short when it came to widening my audience a little and probably some of your listeners will share this uh, feeling with me, if you write something that is a bit hard to position on the bookshelf, it gets really tricky to find the correct readers. So I thought this was a great chance to create a project that would interest the minds that I'm trying to reach people that are just like interested in things that are a bit out there, a bit weird, a bit like in the realms of strange fiction and horror and matching genres and all that kind of stuff.
0: And actually, this is why I'm talking to you. I mean, I've had a lot of pictures from, like, let's talk about AI art. And then I went on your Ravensfield collection and I was like, oh, we have a similar mind in that way. In that, you know, I've got Guillermo del Toro's book about his house, which is just full of the weirdest stuff. And I have so many very expensive hardback books that are full of weird pictures from weird museums. And when I saw yours, I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And it totally gets into the things that, we maybe can't find pictures of either. This is what's so awesome about AI art. And I I might have to do something similar for my book, Desecration, where I just, there are no pictures of some of the things I'm writing about. So I love that you're doing this from a creative point of view, but just from, you mentioned the reader's response. So what has been the reader's response? Have people been like, oh, I want to know the story behind that object. Has it actually led to book sales? Can you tell?
1: So when it comes to book sales, right now I'm in the middle of a huge project because I decided that the story that I wrote in my first few books, I felt the scope was too small. So I decided to actually re-edit both volumes, which is also one of the reasons I decided to put some effort into Ravensville because that's a project that is going to take me a long time and I wanted to still be active and be sharing content with readers out there. The response so far has been pretty fantastic. Like People are just very intrigued and also I like surprising people that fall into the Seal collection because I th- I think the first reaction is a bit confused like mm. they don't know what the think t- it's about is this a real place then they start investigating and digging and they get more and more into it and then they message me and they say I cannot wait for the next op- object to drop uh, or they actually want to meet, uh, the people in, in the family, or they request that I do images that are actually the portraits of these characters that I'm talking about. So uh, it's opening like a lot of like really fun interactions with people. And also it opens the conversation, conversations in regards to AI art because that's also something that most people didn't expect, because to be fair, most people don't know does that even exist. So they question, like, where did I find those objects? If it's something that was like laying around my house and I decided to write a story <laughs> about it. And I just have so much fun because like being in that kind of like in-between ties so beautifully with the things that I write about.
0: Oh, and I'm so glad you used the word fun there because... We're going to get into some serious issues and problems that people have, but when you're creating with these tools and when I'm creating with these tools I'm having fun like just before this I was in mid-journey I was making some more character pictures I was making some background pictures and I love what you're doing there in terms of like it's fun and then you're using it to world build and this world building and I feel like maybe as professionals we get to the point of thinking everything we do has to generate income like that particular thing has to be revenue generating but this almost goes back to what is creatively fun and just part of just the joy I guess of creation which almost takes us back to the beginning of why we did this in the first place
1: oh absolutely I couldn't agree more and also I probably am not alone into uh what happened after covid like a lot of us felt very cre- creatively trained mm. um, and for me when I discovered this whole new world, it was like some spark was reignited in a sense.
0: Yeah, I think I was the same. I COVID just, yeah, <laughs> was not good. Yes. I was mean, not good in many ways, but creatively it was just, yeah, dead. So I, I love this. Let's get into some more specifics. So which AI tools, what image tools are you using? What other tools are you using as an AI augmented creative?
1: Yes, so I use Me Journey. It's the one that you just mentioned. There is many apps and software when it comes to image generation out there. And I feel like every time I close my eyes, there is a new one and they get more and more specific, which is pretty fantastic. Right now, I decided to master just the one and then probably I'll move on because I'm the kind of creative that likes to have like a hefty toolbox if possible. But this is the one that is giving me the best results so far for the goals that I have in mind. Also, like you talked with Derek Murphy about this, so I will tell your listeners like to go back and listen to that one because that was a great conversation, and he goes a bit more into deep about the nuances between the different tool. the different tools exactly
0: mm. so well, let's talk about how you use mid journey then, so I'll tell you how I use it because I am not graphically trained. I'm not a visual artist. I think I have some kind of visual taste, but on mid-journey, like earlier, I did something like portrait photo of a female combat photographer against a backdrop of burning buildings. So it's got you know, a sort of character type and a background and I'm using the, the version four. So I use like the dash dash yes. V4 and what I get out of that is pretty blooming good, to be honest. But you're an artist, you're a graphic artist. So what are your prompts like when you're prompting these engines?
1: So my prompting it varies depending on what I'm trying to achieve. What what I do a lot is like, so I would say, I I like that you you brought the word taste, right? Like if you, there is definitely like a taste level that you need to have to get your results to where you want them to be. And also for me, it's not only taste, it's also a tool that requires a lot of curiosity and it requires you to be very observant because you need to be, um, you need to have a very wide repertoire of references and words that you can use to talk to the machine, to the algorithm. And machines are very precise. So in a sense, it's also like talking a new language from scratch because you're cannot talk to me, Johnny, as we are talking, you and I, because he won't understand you. And for me, it's like finding, you need to find a balance between the result that you have in your head and then you need to also leave the algorithm a bit of freedom because usually the machine is gonna surprise you. And in my case, it always surprises you in the right ways and it opens different pathways and different possibilities that you didn't think about. In my case, what I love to do is mixing things that in our human logical minds, maybe wouldn't mix. So for example, I try to do mix a fashion designer with a building and then the computer does it so beautifully and so seamlessly that the results are so, so always so, so bizarre. And then I take that into pretty much everything. And then depending on like the mood, then I add a lot of extra information when it comes to lighting, when it comes to the color palettes. Um when it comes to different mediums or textures things like that so the good thing about image generators is the foundation is really accessible so anyone can like go into the tool and start experimenting and the results as you said from the get-go are pretty impressive and then you can iterate and grow from there but uh, pretty much you have results that are like shareable from the very first hours that you're using mid-journey
0: Yeah. And you've you've raised some such great points there. And again, I just want to emphasize to people. So when you're prompting, you mentioned a repertoire of references. So fashion designers, buildings. So you're not saying house and fashion designer, you're saying specific names around fashion designers and buildings. And then you said lighting, color palette, textures, and the difference in a prompt, like if people haven't seen the difference in prompts. So my husband, who's not at all visually artistic, his prompt was the other day he did one. It was like cat samurai. And in his mind, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a cat samurai and it has a nice cartoon of a cat.
1: Yeah. Face. That's, that sounds pretty cute.
0: Yeah, it is cute. Right. It's cute. So, and the picture that comes up in everyone's head right now is probably enough, but that would never be enough for you. Like you would never put, cat samurai right you would come up with all kinds of other things and well I actually screenshot a um, I saw an artist doing a prompt earlier and his prompt was like 500 words (laughs) yes you know so that I mean that's the difference isn't it so when people say oh there's no room for real artists anymore like prompting and using the tools is a real art in itself
1: it is it's like I mean tool is the key the mid-journey, it's a tool, like a pencil is a tool. It's not a living being that is trying to take over the world or trying to obliterate artists from the face of the earth. It's a tool that might interest some artists and might not interest some others. And then it has a learning curve, and then it has a lot of experimenting that you can do. The thing is, like, as any other thing... It requires like some like extra thought if you want to find your own voice. It's pretty much very close to writing, right? Like you start pretty when you start writing, you're a bit shy and you try to stick to like a lot of conventions, and then you start breaking free, and then you use things that are a bit more daring. To me, it's pretty much the same mental process. First, you are a bit shy and you do prompts that are like a bit less complex, and then when you start finding uh, your footing, you start getting a bit more brave and and a bit more complex, and then you're Prompts are larger, which by the way, not always means better. Some people confuse and they think that if you write pretty much the Bible as a prompt, you're going to get a better result, which is not always the case. It's like as anything else, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. For me, it's a very, very beautiful creative process because it requires a lot of mental clarity. You need to have a very clear picture in your mind of what you want to achieve, and then you need to translate that into a, a, a prompt that is useful to the machine. So just that is pushing, it's going to push your comfort zone creatively time and again. And I think it's just a very, very good way to keep your mind sharp.
0: Yeah. And so you mentioned voice there, you mentioned a clear picture of what you want to achieve. We've mentioned taste. So I always talk about creative direction, you know, and I talk about having maybe a supercar sitting there outside your house and the supercar can get, it's not just going to do stuff on its own, Like you have to get in and drive it and take it to where you want it to go. And you're the one in charge. And so I think that this is so important. These tools, yeah, then they don't have any agency. I mean, as we're recording this, certainly in January 2023, <laughs> there, there is no sentient AI artist that's like, oh, this is my AI voice. This is what I'm going to create. And so everything that people are creating is is all through the lens of what they want to do. And it's a bit like you can give the same writer a writing prompt. And they will create completely different stories. And you and I could have the same idea of something we want to create, but our outputs will be completely different using the same tool, right? It is a tool. And obviously, we agree on this. But people listening, (laughs) I think, are struggling with this idea.
1: Yes, absolutely, and I think there is a, a whole a, like a whole misconception about what it is and what it does. And I think some people think that when you prompt, uh, pretty much what you're doing is like a Google image search, or you're looking for an image in stock service. Like they think that like what the service does is find an image that kind of matches what you're saying, and either gives you that same image or a carbon copy, and that's. Not even close to remotely being remotely true. Like you need to think that these tools are trained in billions with a B uh, of images around the world, and what they do is like they understand what you're trying to achieve. And they take bits and pieces of all of those images of of this information in pixels. And then they give you a series of results that you can iterate and you can like then create a whole new image that it's going to be completely your own. And it's going to show your personality. And especially like, I I think it happens to all creators. At some point, things that look too formulaic are not going to be good enough for you because we are very like anal when it comes to finding our voices so that's when you like i think just by like the nature of being a creative I try to push new new boundaries
0: yeah absolutely i've got some sort of key points of what people are going on about so first of all this idea of is ai art really art and i mean my opinion first up is there is no true ai art because humans are driving it all. But also I think, I mean, there's a very clear difference between like, and I see it on the mid journey open stream all the time, people upload a selfie and then they say, make me into a Pixar character, right? This is a common thing or make me into a Disney character or something like that. And there is a very like Pixar specifically, a very key visual cue that is a pixar image and people's selfies as pixar characters that is not art i mean that's just it's kind of fun it's what people want to do but there's a big difference between someone like yourself or people who are actually creating art with these tools or people who are just using it for for fun so what are your thoughts on this is ai art really art
1: yeah i mean like I find it really funny because like, is X or Y and Z art or not art? It's pretty much a debate that has been happening since art exists. So it's not new. And also I think it's pretty pointless. I mean... Is, is it isn't it i mean who knows you know depends on who you ask The thing, like uh, the things that are getting confused here is the novelty of a new toy quote-unquote toy and people that are see a potential creatively or professionally being so new and some people are already i find it really fascinating some people online are already treating ai art as if it was like a mature industry it's not by any means it's still in very very early stages so it's Of course, uh, like very common that people see a new and flashy thing and they want to do silly experiments and that's totally fine and they can have their fun. But I think all of those people eventually are going to find their interest somewhere else and they're going to move on. And then the people that are going to remain is people that see a potential beyond the novelty. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I mean photography is the classic example that people are using, which is when photography came along, early photography, all the painters went, What are you doing? That's not real art. And then people started taking photos, and then it went from the old film to digital. And then there's all the tools like Photoshop you can use to manipulate it. And so on every scale, I mean, music, you don't need to play a violin now to make violin music. You know, that all of these things have tools and yes and it's funny you say that about people getting bored like again like my husband for example he does like occasionally doing like the cat samurai stuff but he has no reason to use ai visual art in his daily life and so he will rapidly get bored with it and you will carry on i will carry on in a lesser way than you will but we all try these things and then find a, a place for them and if there is no place for them that's also fine right
1: Absolutely. And I think finding the place, that's what people need to think about. If it's a tool that has potential, which I believe it does for several reasons, it will find its rightful place and then people will use it accordingly. And not only that, like AI art existing probably is also going to open new synergies between uh, AI and other artworks that already exist the movie world or even like a traditional art you name it writing when photography came to be or film also the other arts like kind of like caught up and created new things that wouldn't exist otherwise and I think this is going to be pretty much the same uh, thing I mean sometimes I wonder if the difference is the speed right like this transition Mm -hmm. is happening so fast that sometimes I think the fear is related to this kind of like vertigo effect because like things are just changing so rapidly that you cannot even like grasp what they mean or what the change might be, or if it's good or bad. And then people get just like absolutely stunned.
0: Yes. And that is why I like to keep coming back to this because some people, a lot of people actually emailed me about this show, because I've been talking about AI since 2016 on the show. And people are like, oh, I, I feel a bit more comfortable because I've listened to you talk about it. over the years. So hopefully this conversation will help more people who need to adjust more. Because again, you mentioned film there. I mean, the gaming industry has been using AI generation for a long time, and we're only going to see more of it. But let's just talk about a couple of other issues that people bring up as regards the AI art so first of all you did mention that these models are trained with images and this is one of the sort of things people say AI art is stealing from creators they're trained with images that were copyright protected this should not have happened so what are your thoughts around the sort of stealing from creators by training the models
1: uh yes like Listen, I I won't be the one. There is like a lot of artists that are like turning this into a huge controversy and pretty much into a war of us versus them. And I'm not going to be that person. I think it's natural that creators have concerns about their property. And at the end of the day, it's up to each creator to decide how they want to use their artwork and put it out in the world and license it or not license it. So I understand it's it's an issue that requires some thought. The problem is like the industry being so quick and so new, there is a lot of question marks. So my problem with this kind of mentality is I think there is a very thin line between being watchful about your property and being egotistical and petty. I think it's important as a creator to try to put generosity out there. And to me, if someone is using, uh, some people are very kind of like close to the idea of someone using like mimicking their style. To me personally, that's a compliment. If someone wants to mimic your style, I would guess to learn or like to homage you or because they think you're so wonderful that they want to be you. Take the compliment. That said, there is always going to be bad actors out there. And There is a difference between a person using you as a reference to grow and learn and someone that is trying to pass their work as your own and profiting from it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that passing off, I mean, that it's very difficult because these tools don't technically plagiarize, as in the image is not exactly the same image. We'll have differences, whatever it is. But like you said, some of the tools are now allowing artists to remove their names from prompts, which... And it's funny, I mean, again, I agree, I agree with you totally. I think people have a choice to use it or not. But personally, I think if you get your name removed from what may be whatever the next form of some kind of visual internet, <laughs> then isn't that going to hurt you in the long run? Do you then become invisible? And so for, like I've been thinking about this a long time. And I I also feel like I have a, I think it's utilitarianism where the greater benefit is more important. So, and I obviously, I have a lot of intellectual property in words and I know it's all in the models. (laughs) Of course, it's all in the models. All of our work is available somehow online. And it's like, well, again, if people want to train their word models with JF Penn or Joanna Penn, then... Yeah, isn't that a good thing? And also, this is where I think personal brand and connection with readers and viewers is so important because it doesn't matter if whoever uh, fake me starts another fake me site, I control my relationship with my audience. And so that I think will become even more important as we go on. It's like, how can you prove to your audience that you're human? And even though you use all these AI tools, they're connecting with you, the human behind the art. So yeah, I'm not particularly worried about that myself either.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, also, I think this is an issue that as soon as the dust settles a little, it's going dif- to disappear. Uh, things are very, like, turmoilly because we are in a moment that we are not there yet. But as soon as, like, there is a better understanding of these tools, I think these peers are going to just, like, naturally disappear. So for me, it's just important to remember, as you were saying, as a creator, like, an AI tool, it's not a c- clone of your head. So you can mimic a person all you want, but at the end of the day, the creator is the creator. And a creator, like you need to be, as any creative, like you need to be confident that the content that you put it out there is coming from your mind, and that's what's creating the connection with your audience. Because like you need to remember, like if you're doing content that is connecting and is causing a reaction, and your audience is reacting favorably to it. They don't care if you use AI to make it or if it's an old painting or if you're writing with a goose feather or with a typewriter. What they like is that connection that you're putting effort into nurturing. And that's something that AI cannot copy.
0: Yeah, I do think this is more and more important over time. So we've talked there about the input into the tools. So the training data that's gone into the tools, clearly some of that is copyright. But the output is another interesting thing. And there is no legal stand on this right now. Although, again, as you say, I think this year, 2023, things will start shaking out in terms of the legal side. But MidJourney, and I went and checked again, I've I've readed their terms of service, and they do basically say that what... What what comes out of mid-journey is yours, the creator's, but that people can remix it. They can do whatever. If you're creating in public, which I do, people can just do that. So you've put your images under creative commons, attribution, non-commercial, share alike. So can you talk about that? What is that and why you decided to go that way?
1: Yes. Yeah, so Creative Commons is a nonprofit that helps creators make these licenses that pretty much say it's a way that you're telling the whole world that you welcome people to interact with your content, but then there is some conditions that need to be met. In my case, uh, this is especially useful if you're a creator that puts a lot of content online. So in my case, because also I want to monetize my content in the future. I made this license that it's a bit more restrictive and I'll go like one by one. So people can understand when you say attribution, that means that everybody is welcome to use my art to share it or to do derivative work, but they have to let the world know that it comes from me. So they have to mention your name. When you say that something is non-commercial, that that, that just means that they cannot profit from that piece of work. And if you, when you say it's share alike, it means that they need to use that same license, use those same conditions with their new art piece. So, uh, what this is like, this would be pretty much if, as if you're granting the world a fan art service in a way, you're just encouraging people to share your work, to have fun with it but you don't want them to take your money or your credit from you. When it comes to creative commons, what I like the most is like, it's a way to encourage both like that generosity that I was talking about and also network effect. You're telling creators and people around the world, please play with my material, but also you're giving yourself A little bit of of protection because like if people are completely disrespecting your licenses, you can like, you can talk to them and say, listen, like, I'm very glad that you're playing with my artwork, but like, I? I, you need to follow these steps. Those licenses are also very interesting if you're trying to build something like a multiverse these days, because you can remove the non-commercial. And then what you're telling people is this is my world. And then you're free to play with it and you can profit, but also you need to share it alike. Meaning like this is, there is certain conditions that need to be met. It's just like a way that creators, is another way that creators use to pretty much like state how they want people to, to react to the world, to interact with your material and just grant those extra licenses a bit and be a bit more clear about what your intention is online.
0: Mm, yeah. And I certainly think copyright law in general is is going to be it's going oh, in flux. Goodness. I know. It's very, very difficult <laughs> to really know what's going on. And I have the same kind of attitude, which is I'm treating the pictures I create on Mid Journey as essentially Creative Commons. And I'm still doing it in public on the Mid Journey newbie stream. because, And then other people can just take it and do whatever they want with it. And that doesn't bother me. But art is not my business. So this is interesting because you are a graphic artist and you also have a job this way. So if people listening, if there are people who are artists who want to make money and use AI in their arts, and I mean, we've got things like Adobe Photoshop and other commonly used tools are all incorporating AI now into the design tools. So is it just a line between, say, if you generate an image with Midjourney, but then you use Photoshop to edit that and change things uh, then that's copyright and then you can sell it or what do you think about where the line is around getting paid
1: so that's the thing like but you just raised a very good point what happens when you like put an image in photoshop can you copyright it right now uh, and then monetize it i wish things were a a bit less blurry in regards right now the only thing i would say is like monetization when it comes to artwork is a decision that creators need to do before they put content online because if not it's going to be very messy if you have to make that decision afterwards so you need to be very clear about like what your goals are and what part of your artwork is going to be monetizable and what you're willing to share for free and then make the decisions accordingly because then that's going to help you decide the service that you want to use and then what like the licenses that you're going to look for and then you can build from there. I wouldn't recommend just starting putting tons and tons and tons of content online and then getting nasty surprises about someone using it and profiting because you weren't clear enough. When it comes to copyright, I think from my understanding, what is happening today, and again, like as you said, it's such a mess because I mean copyright is messy no matter what, and the AI is not making it any easier. I think the difference lays in like what like when you can uh dem- like when you can demonstrate that like you are using this as a tool, and there is a lot of like human work behind it. So it's also very tricky to prove that, but some creators are actually going through that route and talking to the registry office and saying, "Listen, like this is my project. I just this is how I use an AI tool and this is the steps that I took, et etc, cetera, etc, cetera. and sometimes they get the registration and nothing happens. so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I tell people like, just like be careful and be watchful out there. Make sure that you're making the right decisions. So you're protecting your company, like, and your property enough, but don't be losing sleep over it every night because there is, uh, at some point, there is like nothing that you can do. Just be flexible and be willing to like do as much as you can. And Pretty much that's it, you know, and also mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, seriously, I don't think there is a- anything else. that Maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think there is anything <laughs> else that you can do, you know, at least at this stage.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I feel like this is nothing new either. I've been putting stuff online now since 2008. Every single blog post, podcast, video, book, everything I have ever made has been plagiarized, put up on another site, pirated and (laughs) sometimes I get notified straight away some like I'll get pingbacks on like this interview I will get pingbacks from websites that are just scraping and posting and I mean uh, ages ago I was just like sometimes I will go about trying to take them down and a lot of the times I'm just like oh my goodness I just I can't keep up with it all but that's why I emphasize the relationship with my audience because the people listening to this or reading the transcript here with us, they're our audience, and I'm just not going to worry about the rest of it because scammers and spammers and whatever will not stop regardless. You know, an AI will supercharge it for sure. But if there are billions, well, there are already millions and millions of books and millions of millions of art out in the world. So it still comes down to the connection between the creator and the consumer, the reader, the viewer. And that's something that we have to find as individual creators, I guess. And the AI is not going to do that. And the people who just scam other people's work or plagiarize other people's work, steal other people's work, they are not going about it in the same way, right? They're not building that relationship.
1: Oh, of course not. Of course not. And at the end of the day, this is something that is also, it's great that you're pointing this, Joanna, because like, I think there is something that also creators tend to misunderstand. You cannot think about monetizing when you have nothing to monetize, which means that you need an audience. You cannot like start selling products left and right. If you have no one to send those products to. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people get into. And you mentioned this before. And it's because like, it's really easy for us as human beings to get very caught into that, like making a profit mentality. And then we forget that that depends as creatives. Uh, completely on having a healthy audience that interacts with you. If you don't have it, you can forget about it. And that's the way it is. Scammers don't care because also like they're going to use whatever is available and they're going to move on. And one thing that I keep telling people that also ties with what you just said is like, if you're lucky, you might get a ping and you might find out. Most likely you will never find out. Yeah. So you might as well <laughs> just do a, and enjoy your day.
0: Mm, absolutely now I mean you mentioned earlier about the sort of war going on in the community and I mean this is starting to happen in the writing community too as people find out about AI writing tools which we might come back to in a minute but in terms of what people think you mentioned earlier right at the beginning that your father is an artist now my father is also an artist he's a printmaker now but he was a sculptor he draw he is very much old school art so much so that I have not talk to him about this stuff because <laughs> I just know <laughs> that it's going to be a really hard conversation and he's in his mid-70s. I know what he's going to say. So I was wondering what your father thinks about this and do you just avoid the conversation like me or how do you talk to people that you that you want to convince that what you're doing is real?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, not at all. My father loves uh, loved it. He sees a lot. I mean, he's not interested himself. He's also in his seventies and he mostly does old painting and these very intricate uh, ink drawings. And he's not interested in using it himself. But when I explained what he does and I showed him a lot of examples, like he was just intrigued and excited and he saw a lot of potential and he encouraged me to be just keep exploring and be better at it. Like for him, like he didn't see it as like a threat or anything else, quite the opposite. So yeah, like that conversation, like for me, Joanna went very well. So I would encourage you to maybe like (laughs) open it and see what happens. I think, I mean, from my perspective, like this conversation gets a bit like wrong when you're talking with people that lack a bit of confidence as creators and that can go both ways. It can be like both like the person, like the AI artist and the traditional artist. So it becomes a battle of like, who's better and mm-hmm. that's a mess because it's not like, that's not that what the, discu- that the discussion is, right? Like you don't need to be convincing me that you're better than me, or this is, that's just like po- absolutely pointless. So I think it's just like, I don't know. I mean, for me, this is like, it's like everything else in the online world. Just be gracious, be understanding and listen to other people. And instead of like, start shrieking and insulting because that's already happening. So that happens really fast in AI art. There's already like this, like battle of like insults, which by the way, are very creative. So I would encourage those people to put that <laughs> effort into doing images. I don't know. It's just like, for me, it's just about confidence. If you're a creator, you need to be 100% confident that what you're putting out there, it's good and it's resonating with people. And if it's not, then it's up to you to be flexible enough to change course and try something new. You cannot blame a new tool or a technology or other person that is doing things better than you for your lack of success. Because the only thing that you're doing that is, is just, the only thing you're doing is driving yourself completely insane.
0: You're <laughs> yeah. making,
1: you're blocking yourself creatively. You're not evolving and you're just being bitter. And what's the
0: point, you know? And that kind of circles back to what we said at the beginning around the fun side, the creative side around if people listening, if you haven't tried any of these tools, please just try them because I feel like it's difficult for people. A lot of people criticize before they have tried it. And once you try something, I think the fear goes out of it. So, and given that most of our audience are writers more than visual artists. Let's just mention a a writing tool that they might have tried. And we were talking about this before the recording, which is ChatGPT or some of the other writing tools. So you've been using this as well. Tell us what you're using the generative writing stuff for.
1: Yeah. So I think ChatGPT uh, specifically, and probably the other ones out there are great brainstorming companions. They're not going to write the book for you because I don't think that's a thing, to be honest. I think books have way too many moving pieces to, you know, for a machine to do it to the level that you're going to ask from it. But it's great if you want to bounce ideas and very quickly. And also, again... Because it's a machine, it always surprises you. So I've been using it to like, to like, when I feel a bit blocked or like the direction that I'm going is not giving me the results that I want, both for fiction and for generating art, I just go to chat GPT and start asking questions about like, can you give me, uh, can you give me a synopsis for this? And then I'm like, "Mm, that that, maybe that I know, maybe making more gothic, making, maybe making more cyberpunk, maybe add this to the mix. And then those results. Help me tremendously to unblock because it's pretty much it's like if you're it's, it's bouncing ideas back and forth and back and forth and back and forth again, really fun. So I, re, I highly recommend it, and also pushes your imagination a lot, and also it helps you relax, and it will definitely show you ideas that didn't cross your mind before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And all, this is why I talk about being AI augmented or AI assisted creatives because again like you said it's a tool it helps us think in different directions and it's like having a, just a ton of different brains that you can access that spark ideas for your own creative journey but i love that you mentioned creative confidence because again even look even if you can just click a button and output a perfect image or click a button and output a perfect book first go That doesn't matter because it comes back to what we've talked about is what you want to create. And then it's about your connection with other humans. Like we said, there are already too many books in the world. There are too many images in the world for any person to ever read or look at or listen to music. So there will just be more and more and more content, but that's not The thing, right? So we're going to keep creating because we are creative people. And this is just going to expand the possibilities, but it just comes down to what do you want to create and who do you want to connect with?
1: Yes, absolutely. And for me, it's just a beautiful exercise of the imagination, right? I think if you are an author, we also have an advantage that is that we live in the world of ideas pretty much 24-7. So now we have a tool that makes those ideas manifest into the world really quickly so for me that's just a huge advantage you need to think that like specifically with images you can go it's like it's limitless so you can go as small as designing a pebble on a beach and then grow all the way to designing the map of your whole universe and everything in between to me That just fills me with so much excitement because like I see so much potential. And also it opens the realms of possibilities for people that maybe are afraid that their ideas are too, like too out there. You know, we all share that fear. I think it happens to all of us. Like sometimes you write something and you think, Oh, this is just too strange. This is not, you know, going anywhere. And then, well, maybe it will. Maybe you just need to explore it a bit further. And I think those tools just push you to take that journey, to do more exploring, to find new ways to express yourself. And just for the mere fact that that's a thing, I, I would just, as you say, I would just recommend people go ahead and try them. And then if they're not interested, they're absolutely fine. But I think they're just going to see a lot of potential just like we did.
0: Oh, well, I'm so glad you're excited. I am too. So where can people find you and everything you do online?
1: So the best way to connect with me is through my website. That's OliverAltair.com. That's A-L-T-A-I-R. There you can find a contact form. So please, anyone that has a question about AI or fiction, or just want to say hello, uh, feel free to shoot me a message. And then from there, you can also find the links to my social media and to the Ravensville collection.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Oliver. That was great.
1: Thank you so much, Joanna.
0: So I hope you enjoyed my thoughts on generative AI as well as the discussion with Oliver. And I have some more interviews coming up on writing with AI as well as the legal perspective. Check out the show notes for copious links to loads of resources and also my backlist episodes and tutorials, books and courses are at thecreativepen.com forward slash future. And as ever, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen, you can email me joanna at thecreativepen.com or leave a note, a comment on the blog post or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. I think it makes it more of a conversation. So next week on The Usual Monday Show, I'm talking to Steve Piper about selling books direct. And I've learned a lot from Steve about optimising sales on Shopify. So we have a great conversation that I think you'll find interesting. Whether or not you're selling direct yet or not, it will uh, hopefully inspire you. So in the meantime, happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful.